Thank you, Randy and worship team, for leading us this morning. If you will take your copy of the Holy Scriptures and open with me to Revelation chapter 16, we will be reading a portion of 16, a portion of 17. And this is the sixth chapter of Lamentations. That's how I'm introducing it, at least. We will finish the story of Lamentations this morning by looking at Revelation 16, 17, 18, and primarily 19. Let us hear the word of our Lord together this morning. Revelation chapter 16, beginning at verse number 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightnings, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. What a text for us this morning. May God encourage his people, strengthen us in the promises that he has given to us in Christ this Lord's day. Let us pray together. Well, Father, as we open your word this morning, we have, at least I have, been anticipating this text for the last two, three, four weeks. As we have immersed ourselves in the book of Lamentations, there has been a longing in my soul to finish this story, to see your glorious judgment and the final and full deliverance of your people. And here we are with this text. Father, I would pray today for all of our members, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. online, that as the word goes forth this Lord's day, that spirit of God, you would use it 
to strengthen the hope of your people. Many, even within our church family, who walk through days of uncertainty and struggles. Oh God, be gracious. Renew their hope in Christ as we open the scriptures this morning and see your final and full sovereignty expressed over all things. To you be glory, O oh God. In your word this Lord's day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, ladies and Greg, for ministering to us. Our worship team has labored um, every Sunday for a couple of times each Lord's Day for a number of months now. I'm very grateful for their ministry to us. Well, your Bible's open and our hearts geared toward the book of Revelation for these next few moments. Last Sunday, Pastor Tim finished our series on the book of Lamentations. I introed it, preached a couple of sermons, and then I parachuted out of that particular series and left him to finish it up for the last three Sundays. Each of those Sundays, as I sat over here listening to Tim preach, in my soul, I was anticipating this Sunday. Lamentations only has five chapters. And this is not a reflection on Tim's preaching. It felt like 5,000 chapters. <laughs> Lamentations ends with God's people devastated. And Babylon, a wicked nation reigning, The struggle of Lamentations, for me at least, as a, as a reader and as a listener these last few weeks, the struggle of Lamentations has been, there's, there's no resolution. God does not tie up all the loose ends at the end of these five chapters. At the end of five chapters, we find the people of God, Jerusalem, the city, the people of Judah, they are devastated under the wicked hand of Babylon. And that's where we're left. So I sat over these last number of weeks and I thought, I just got to finish the story. I got to finish the story. Lamentation serves its place and it's helpful to our souls. And I pray that these last number of weeks you have been encouraged and strengthened. Your, your vision of God and his ways and his works have, have been expanded. Maybe your experience as a Christian has been enriched as you think about the issue of lament, but I wanted to finish that story of lamentations, and that's our aim today in Revelation. If you're a reader of the Old Testament, certainly these last number of weeks, you are well aware of Babylon. Babylon in history would rise up as a world power, and they would have a dominating and powerful presence upon the world scene. Babylon would conquer and subdue nations. She would be a dominating and powerful presence over world history. Judah and Jerusalem, 
as we learned in the book of Lamentations, would not be spared. Babylon as an empire and a whole was godless and evil. She persecuted the people of God. She was brutal in her ways. When Tim was preaching through Lamentations 4, he said this, if I remember right, in his sermon. Lamentations 4 is the hardest chapter to just read. Because you see the brutality that the people of God experienced under the hand of this evil empire. empire. As she unleashed her wrath and her fury upon Jerusalem. That was the nature of this nation. And Babylon was a proud nation. She was arrogant in her posture in world history toward other nations. Isaiah the prophet would speak about this aspect of Babylon as God puts these words in Babylon's mouth. Listen to this. Babylon speaking. I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow nor know the loss of children. This was an arrogant posture of a wicked nation. You hear some imageries there of lamentations. Jerusalem sat as a widow. Jerusalem lost her children. And here sits Babylon who looks out up over the world scene and says, I am and there is no one else besides me. I will not be a widow and I will not lose my children. This arrogant, proud posture of this nation. That's Babylon. She was callous. But as every world empire, she would meet her end. You know a little bit of world history, right? Especially if you've read the book of Daniel. Babylon would fall suddenly and dramatically at the hands of the Persian kingdom. Ironically, Babylon would experience many of the cruelties that Jerusalem experienced under the persecution of Babylon. The Persian kingdom would assault and with relentless fervor, destroy Babylon. They would suffer greatly. And that would be the end of this earthly kingdom of Babylon. It would sweep onto the pages of history. It would overwhelm the people of God. And as quickly as it would sweep onto the pages of history, Persia would push it off those same pages. But that's not the end of Babylon. That's the oddity. That's not the end of Babylon. Her spirit would live on in the scriptures. Babylon would come to represent the the godless kingdoms of this world. Those who sought to destroy and to deceive the people of God. Babylon, if you will, would capture the spirit of the age. It was decidedly anti-Christian, opposed to God and his kingdom his ways and his glory. Now, if you heard just a moment ago when I read Revelation 16, all of a sudden Babylon's back in the picture. I mean, chapter 16, verse 19, even before back in 14 and 15, Babylon is mentioned. But but even before Revelation, Babylon captured, if you will, the spirit of the age. She would appear again in 1 Peter. If you remember 1 Peter, 1 Peter was written by the apostle Peter and it was written to brothers and sisters who were suffering. 
And in 1 Peter 5, at the very end of that particular epistle, Peter would write these words. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. She who is at Babylon. Now, in, in the context of world history, Babylon had passed off the pages of history 500 years before this. But, but now here sets Peter and 60 or so AD, he pins this epistle and he writes to his readers, she who is at Babylon greets you. Now, Peter's not speaking of the literal Babylon. Most scholars believe Peter's using this term Babylon to capture the very spirit of Rome from which Peter is writing. So in other words, like Babylon, Rome, if you will, plays this role in world history of being decidedly anti-God and opposed to the people of God. Rome, if you will, in Peter's day, had taken on the spirit of Babylon. Babylon continues to live on through the ages. Ironically, Rome, like Babylon, in 70 AD, would destroy the temple of God in Jerusalem. By, by Peter's day, Babylon had come to represent that ungodly world system and kingdom that opposes God and his glory and his kingdom. That's how Peter viewed it. As we come to Revelation, the, the text we read this morning, we see that the storyline of Babylon continues. Babylon is used in Revelation to capture, again, that evil system that opposes God and his holy law. Babylon in Revelation, which should raise for us all the historical meaning that we have read and understood in the book of Lamentations. They were persecutors of God's people. They corrupt the earth with evil inclinations and rebellion against God. And now in the book of Revelation, in this particular vision, Babylon is going to summarize, if you will, for the readers, us, all that opposes God, these evil kingdoms that rise up in world history. You know, as I sat in that chair for a few weeks thinking, I mean, I, and I had this thought go through my mind numerous times when I did the introduction to Lamentations, why didn't God finish the story? And, and, I, and I know the answer to that. It's written in time and in history and in its context. But when you come to the end of Revelation 5, you just feel like there needs to be a Lamentations chapter 6. Well, Revelation 16, 17, 18, and 19, if, you, if, we, if we could package them all together, they are Lamentations chapter 6. They finish the story for us. And the big finish of the story that we're going to look at this morning is this. God will judge Babylon and God will save his people. That's the end of Lamentations that I wanted, <laughs> right? That's the end I wanted. If I was the writer of Lamentations... If I could have penned that story, I would want to have finished that story by recording for us, hey, God will judge Babylon and God will save his people and flesh that out. Well, that's exactly what Lamentations does. 
in a sense, we live now in Babylon. The whole flavor of the New Testament toward you as the children of God, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you are sojourners. You live in exile. And with Abraham, we, in this exile, we, we look toward that city. Right? It, we're not in our homeland now, but we're looking toward that homeland whose maker and foundations are God. So, so we could say even now that you and I, we live in this world, this ungodly world that is captured, if you will, by the spirit of Babylon. It continues, its impact reverberates throughout history. And, and here we are, exiles and sojourners that the book of Hebrews repeatedly remind us, reminded us of. Now to Revelation. If you would have your Bibles, open them to Revelation chapter 18. Context is important. When you walk into the book of Revelation, we often get so overwhelmed by symbols and meanings and chronology and what's this and what is that and how does this link with that and all the while often when we read the book of Revelation we miss a really important point and that is this this book was written to men and women who were followers of Jesus and they were suffering in Revelation chapter 1 Paul's going to say about his readers you are my brothers my sisters and partners in tribulation what a greeting, right? This is who you are. This is our common experience we have together as Christians. We live in this fallen world in the context of tribulation. In Revelation chapter 14, this is what will be said to the readers. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, right? You don't need endurance unless there's difficulties. And at the heart of this book, it is a call for the endurance of the saints, to those who keep the commandments of God and have their faith in Jesus. So it's important for us to understand as we walk into Revelation 18 and 19, the original readers of this book, their lives were immersed in difficulties and sufferings and adversity and persecution. Why? Well, they were exiles in Babylon. They were experiencing the realities of living in a fallen world. We began our morning, I told you 18, go back to 16. We began our morning by reading chapter 16 and chapter 17. As I wanted you to see just the character and the essence here of Babylon. Look, look back, if you would, at chapter 17, verse 2. We'll jump right back into this. Speaking of Babylon, the great prostitute, notice what she does with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. What, what descriptive language. This, this Babylon, this earthly power, this evil power, if you will, 
has influenced and deceived the dwellers of up on the earth. Notice, they have become drunk, if you will, with her sexual immorality, the wine of her sexual immorality. She has influenced them. She has deceived them. Look down to verse number six. As, as, as the writer continues to describe what he sees here, he says, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And he says, When I saw her, I marveled greatly. So not only does she deceive the dwellers of those up on the earth, verse number two, but she persecutes the people of God. Again, what descriptive language for us in verse number six. She is drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. This is Babylon. It's what we saw in Lamentations, and now it is what we see at the end of Tom. This woman is full of blasphemous names. She opposes all that brings glory to God. That's Babylon. Now, if you let your eyes linger back to chapter 16, verse 19, this is the text I began with. The city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Finally, Lamentations is concluded. God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. This evil system, this evil people, if you will, who seeks to deceive the people of God, who seeks to destroy the people of God, God sets out up over them this reality. God will remember them and God will make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. It is certain. This God is just and he is holy. And Revelation moves us to that day as it looks and sees God now as he will rise up and he will bring retribution to those who oppose his holy name. And again, graphic language. He will make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. This one who deceives, this one who destroys. Go over to chapter 18. Here's the account of the fall of Babylon, this evil system posing God. Notice verse number one this angel comes down out of heaven, one that has great authority. The earth was made bright with his glory. It's a significant moment. And the cry goes out from the angel Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. I mean, history has been moving to this moment. And this angel steps out of heaven, if you will, and he, he, he cries out that which history has anticipated, that which the people of God have anticipated through the ages. And he cries out, fallen is Babylon the great. Look down at verse number nine. The kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand afar off in fear of her torment and they will say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Look at verse 15. 
the merchants of, the, of these wares who gain wealth from her, Babylon, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all whose trade is on the steam they see, they stood far off and they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned and cried out, Alas, alas for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth for in a single hour has been laid waste. And then tucked right in the middle of this, I'm coming back to this in Revelation 19. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Here's the moment. It's climactic, isn't it? Rejoice over her. It's, it's like a boxing match, if you will, when finally the foe has fallen and standing over the foe is God. And the cry goes out. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets. Why? For God has given judgment for you against her Lamentations 6, verse 21. A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown, the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Finality. Finality in her judgment. And the sounds of the harpist and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, they will be heard no more. The craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of the lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For the merchants were the great ones of the earth and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and all who had been slain upon the earth. Babylon is destroyed. This once great and influential city now lays silent under the wrath of God. When you come to the end of chapter 18, that's, that's the feel this, this great city has been destroyed and now it lays silent in her ashes. Her influence and her evil are over. The sound of festivities and parties and rejoicing in this great city has ended. And like Jerusalem in 586 BC, Babylon is silent. She will deceive and she will persecute no more. Now look at the end of 18. That's the issue, isn't it? Deceived the nations and she killed the saints. She deceived the nations and she killed the saints. And God now what we have longed for in the book of Lamentations, God stands for his people. Now I want you to see the contrast here. 
when we move from chapter 18 to chapter 19, we move from silence in chapter 18. The city has been destroyed. This kingdom, this evil kingdom has been undone. And now we turn the page to chapter 19. And oh, the contrast. John writes, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. He's going to say this in verse 1. He's going to say it in verse number 6. This great multitude now rises up on the scene. This deafening silence of the judgment that's brought up on Babylon as she lays in her ashes, this deafening silence is now broken by what John describes as a great multitude in heaven. This past summer, I took my daughter to on a hike in the Monongahela National Forest. and It's one of my favorite places in the world, this particular spot. I'm not going to tell you where it is so you don't ruin it. And we parked the vehicle and we were going to hike over the mountain back to this waterfall. And we were going to spend the night, come back out. And this, this part of West Virginia is so isolated and it's so quiet. It's loud. You ever been in places like that? It's just so quiet. It's almost loud. And Langley Air Force Base uses this little valley as a training run for their jets. And every year we hunt in this area, typically we do. And I told my daughter as we got out of the car and we were putting all the backpack stuff on, I said, boy, I hope, I hope over these next 24 hours you can hear one of those jets come through this valley. It will blow you away. And those words no more than left my mouth. All you hear is this. And then it's like an explosion. They're right over top of you. And five jets come boring down the valley out of Langley Air Force Base. And they circle. I mean, they're, they're so low, you can almost see into the cockpit. But, but in that moment, you're shocked. It's awe. You're overwhelmed. I mean, your, your teeth feel like they're chattering. Your bones are, are shaking. I mean, just how loud it is out of that deafening silence. And this is what we have in Revelation chapter 18 and 19. At the end of 18, no one is saying a word. Babylon has been destroyed. She lies in her ashes. And in 19, this loud, great multitude rises up on the scene like a choir to sing to the glory of God. And that's what we have. Look down at 19. Hallelujah. Praise to Yahweh. Salvation and glory and power belong to God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of the saints. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke of her goes up forever and ever. Who, who is this great multitude? This choir that rises up onto the pages of history. Who is it? Well, I think this is the right answer. This great multitude is all the saints who throughout history have died in Christ. And now, what they have longed for has come to pass. 
Listen to Revelation chapter 7. John writes, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels are standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne of God and they worshiped and they said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Who is this, this choir, this great multitude that, that now looks out over Babylon, lying still in her ashes? Who is this? I think it's all the redeemed who have died in Christ. And they have longed for this day. The person I kept thinking of as I was preparing for this sermon, I did not say this during the 9 a.m. service, was Kathy Vance. Kathy was a dear, dear woman who loved her Savior. I think Kathy's going to be in this choir. I think she's going to be a part of that great multitude. And you know many others, loved ones, who have passed before us. They have longed for this day. If I die tomorrow in Christ, I think me and my horrible voice, I'm going to be standing right there with the multitudes likewise. As I look out upon this scene and I see evil has been destroyed and now God will set forth his unopposed reign. Look back at chapter 19. That statement at the beginning, hallelujah, which means praise to Yahweh. Salvation and glory and power belong to God. What has been known about God throughout all the ages, is now obvious to all in this moment. When he renders this judgment upon Babylon, what was known about God through all the ages is now obvious to the visible eye. God reigns and his power and salvation and glory belong to him and he will share it with no one. Notice in verse 2, this is why I think that choir is anticipating the moment. Verse 2. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Okay, take your Bibles. Go back to Revelation chapter 6. I want you to physically turn this time, okay? Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw, can you imagine this experience John must have had? I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. He looks up on the martyrs. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer 
until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were still yet to be killed as they themselves had been. You, you hear it here though. How long, O oh Lord, sovereign Lord, how long until you avenge our blood upon those who dwell upon the earth? There's this anticipation of God who will be just in his dealings with mankind as he avenges the blood of his martyrs. And that's what's happening in chapter 19, verse number 2. Look down at verse number six. This is the centerpiece of the celebration. This is the heart of what is happening in this choir as they praise God. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Here it is. Hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Now, our, our translations don't capture this really well. A, a better translation would be this. The Lord our God has begun to reign. Now, if you're a good reader of the Bible, especially of the Reformed flavor, maybe you hear that and you think, whoa, 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 hold on a second. God has always reigned. So, so what do you mean here that the Lord has begun to reign? Well, the point here in this text is this. In this moment of redemptive history, no more does God permit evil to have its way. No more does God give the wicked slack on the leash. The judgment that falls upon Babylon is a sign that all that is wrong is coming now to its final end. The day of judgment has arrived and with it the wicked now entering, we are now entering into a season, a reign of full and total righteousness. Think of it. How many times over the last almost 2,000 years have the saints prayed the Lord's Prayer? That which Jesus taught the disciples in Matthew. How many times have God's people prayed this prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times have our brothers and sisters pleaded with God Oh, let your will be done here. Just, just like it is in heaven. I look around this world and I see all the brokenness and all the, all the sin and all the rebellion against God. I look in my own heart and I see the brokenness and I see the rebellion against God. And that, that's a natural plea that rises up out of my heart. Lord, your will here like it is there. Please let that happen. Well, Revelation 19 is the answer to that prayer. Revelation 19 is the moment when God steps into history and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this judgment that God renders upon Babylon is great and it is glorious. But it's really not the primary purpose of this text. I mean, I mean it is. But it's taking us to something even greater. The judgment that God brings up on Babylon results in this glorious celebration. 
because it introduces for us verse number seven. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Here it is. This judgment rendered up on Babylon, it only can mean one thing. The marriage of the Lamb has come. The whole Bible, all of redemptive history, has been moving us to this very moment. The judgment that God renders up on Babylon now sets the stage for this climactic moment inside of redemptive history when the marriage of the Lamb has now come. At the prospect of this wedding, heaven breaks out in celebration. Let us rejoice and exult. And let us give him glory. The marriage of the lamb. The lamb here, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to remember the language of a lamb in Revelation chapter 5. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, John writes, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So John looks up on this lamb in this vision that God gives him. And there's something about this lamb that says to John, he's been slain. Whatever it is, and scholars have given their thoughts about this, but whatever it is about Jesus in this moment, John looks up on him and knows this is the lamb and he's been slain. Verse number 9 They sing a new song and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals. And then it confirms for us, you have been slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. That's Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 9, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And now Jesus will receive his reward, his people. In Revelation chapter 19, verse number 7, the Lamb will receive his bride, the redeemed, the elect, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. They will be his reward. This is the final and full culmination of our union with Christ. I think it's why we have this great multitude. As they stand and they, they see this glorious scene taking place before their eyes as God destroys Babylon, they rejoice and, and they cry out salvation and glory and power belongs only to God. But they knew that that destruction of Babylon was leading them to something far greater, namely the marriage of the Lamb. And that marriage means the final and full salvation of God's people. That's what it means. The final and full salvation of God's people. Remember, John wrote to a people who were in tribulation and suffering. 
That's why this is so glorious for the readers. That's why it's so glorious for us. In this moment of redemptive history, when the marriage of the Lamb comes and we are united to our Savior, we go into his presence. That is when all the wrongs that we've experienced, all the sufferings that we now endure, all of that becomes untrue in our lives as we bask in the presence of the glory of Christ. This is what's moving us in Revelation. It's what's moving us toward in Revelation 20 and 20, 21 and 22 where God prepares for us the new heavens and the new earth. And he brings us into his presence forever. Now all the while, look back down at Revelation 19, verse number seven. The marriage of a lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So, so here's the wedding. I've had the privilege of doing a number of weddings here at Randolph Street. It, it's the same for every wedding. You could take the groom and give him a little closet tucked in the back part of our building and in 15 minutes he can be ready for his wedding. He's ready to roll. For the bride, you have to give her the biggest room in the building, probably multiple rooms. You have to rope off about five bathrooms and it's going to take her about six to seven hours with about 20 people in the room with her. Happens every time and it should happen that way. The bride is making herself ready. You know, a part of the glory of this text is that little phrase here in Revelation chapter 19, verse number seven. In this moment, In the midst of all the suffering and trials and adversity that we are walking through in this life, we are making ourselves ready. By grace, look at verse number eight. It was granted to her to clothe herself. We are making ourselves ready for this glorious moment through good works and endurance. Notice verse number nine. And the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not just a wedding, it's a celebration. And like any celebration in the history of the world, at this wedding, all the travails of this life will pale in comparison to that day. Suffering, we saw so clearly limitations and heartache, depression and fear. All of the burden delivered to us by a sin-cursed world in this glorious moment will fall away. My daughter and I stood in the stairwell of the chapel the day she was married, June the 6th. We gathered the wedding party in, in the stairwell, my daughter. We just wept for 20 minutes. We couldn't stop. She cried, I cried. All of that preparation with all the makeup upstairs was for naught. We told stories, we reminisced. 21 plus years of life kind of came into those 20 minutes. 
And right before we walked out, I looked at him and I said, Olivia, my heart physically hurts, but I am so happy for you. And through her tears, she looked at me and said, Dad, I feel the same. We walked out those doors and we turned the corner and we began our way up the aisle. And there's Tim at the front. He starts sobbing and I lose it at that point. But we got to the front and I looked at her husband-to-be. And in that moment, such joy overwhelmed my soul. Because it's those moments that remind us of this moment. All the tragedies and suffering in this world in this redemptive moment fall away. And we will behold Christ. A good friend recently said to me that he longs for the day on the new earth when he can stroll through the meadows and woods on grounds that used to be filled with hospitals and nursing homes. Our hearts long for that. They yearn for that. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. And Revelation 19 finishes Lamentations by saying this to you, the reader. I will judge the wicked and I will deliver my people. Let me conclude with two very quick exhortations. Two very quick exhortations. Number one, I hope, I know most of you sitting here, I don't know all of you, I hope you will attend this wedding. This glorious festival of grace and you will only do so by faith in Christ. I would be remiss just to pass over this without addressing each of you. Where is your hope? If any answer to that question is anything but Christ, plead with you this morning. Turn from your sins, turn from your merit, turn from your ways, turn from your church attendance, turn from whatever it is and lay hold of Christ. If you lay hold of Christ, this day is your day. Secondly, for those of you who believe, I want to build this in to what we're getting ready to experience. Every time we come to the Lord's table, A part of our celebration at these tables should be an anticipation of this day that Revelation 19 speaks of. Jesus, on the last night with his disciples, he would celebrate the Passover and he would say to them these words, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He would continue, take this. Divided among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, which is pointing us to Revelation chapter 19. These tables remind us of that promise that Christ has given us. 
We will eat again with our Savior. We will partake again with our Savior, but it will be in that kingdom. And Revelation 19 kind of unfolds the tablecloth, if you will, for this banquet and says, look what is waiting for you. Come now to the table and be reminded of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes. There is built into this sacrament, built into this celebration, this outstanding reality and truth that there is that day when Christ will return and he will receive his bride unto himself and we will dwell with him forever. This table is not simply looking back, it is at the cross. This table is not simply communion with Christ, and it is a massively important part of it. But this table is looking forward. In just a moment, you'll press this cup and this bread to your lips, and as you do so, brothers and sisters, be reminded there is going to come a day when you shall sit at the ultimate banquet table and you will feast with your Savior in full and glorious victory. Every time you come to this table, you take a drink and you eat and you remind yourself the promises that God has given me in Christ, they are glorious. That's Lamentations chapter 6. God will judge and God will deliver his people. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this short series in the book of Lamentations by looking at the final fullness of your deliverance and redemption of your people, I pray that members of Randolph Street, our hearts have been encouraged and strengthened for those here, for those watching at home. for those who are suffering. For those walking through moments of uncertainty in their lives, God, would you be gracious to them this morning and fix their eyes upon this glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. when all will be made right and redeemed bodies. We will celebrate the fullness of the gospel forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, strengthen your people by your word this morning. Increase our hope Christ, strengthen it, oh God, I pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to these tables, we do so grateful. You have suffered. You have reconciled. You have redeemed us to God. Thank you for your kindness. As we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, We're reminded of your love for us. And we anticipate the day when we shall sit at the table with you, Lord Jesus. 
sit at that table and rejoice over all of the blessings of God upon us. Help us now as we partake. Strengthen your people with the bread and the cup we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I will ask our elders to now come, prepare our tables. Deacons, if you could get into your respective places. If you're a believer in Christ, regardless of church membership here or there, if you are a believer in Christ, your hope is in Jesus, we invite you to come to these tables. Come and celebrate. If you're not a believer in Christ, set, listen, observe. This is not for you. This is for Christ, people. But we want you to hear the gospel